Welcome to Becoming a Good Therapist, a podcast all about helping you build your confidence as a mental health professional, creating better outcomes for your clients, and really loving the important and life-changing work that you do. I'm Courtney Schroeder. I'm a limited licensed social worker, and I'm here to learn and grow right along with you as I share the lessons, tools, conversations, and steps that I'm taking that are helping me become a good therapist. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking all about the differences between a master's degree in social work and a PhD in clinical psychology. Part of the inspiration for this episode came from um, a couple of YouTube videos that I actually posted about different career paths a few years ago, and I got a lot of feedback that those were really helpful. And this episode is also really exciting because I have my first guest, and it's a very special guest, um, my husband, Hans Schroeder. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, so Hans is a clinical psychologist. He got his PhD in clinical psychology from Michigan State University, and you are currently a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Michigan Medical School, right? Yes. It's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We've yeah. talked about this for a long time. Yeah, I'm excited too. We have been talking about it for a while, so I'm excited that we're finally getting to do this. Yeah. Um, so why don't we go ahead and just jump right into it. Okay. Um, when somebody is getting a PhD in clinical psychology, what are they getting themselves into? Yeah, it's a good question. So yeah, the goal for a graduate coming out of a PhD program is really to be able to conduct and perform clinical research while also being a really well-rounded and well-trained clinician and using scientific principles to understand and treat psychopathology. So it's really a lot of training and research in science and using that scientific approach mm -hmm. to seeing folks with emotional or mental problems. Yeah, so it sounds like there's um, a big emphasis on both research and the clinical piece. Yeah, that that's a big that's probably the big distinguisher. You're conducting original research and the whole goal is to understand mental health through that scientific lens. So with that emphasis on the research, um, what does then the clinical training look like for a PhD? Yeah, the research is kind of happening throughout in the background, like years one through six. My um my clinical psychology program at Michigan State was five years of graduate school and then a, a year-long internship at the end. So the research is happening in the background, but I, I can just break it down year by year. Yeah. So the first year we're taking courses. Um, so this is my experience at Michigan State. The first year is focused on courses, and there you're taking things like clinical theory. You're learning about cognitive behavioral therapy. I had a class on psychodynamic therapy, a class on assessment. Um, and then second year, you're still taking classes with, a, you know, emphasis on clinical psychology. Um, you start doing your master's thesis, and you start seeing patients. And so mm -hmm. you start the clinical supervision. You've got a faculty member supervising you, watching your sessions on a videotape, and then talking about those sessions. Third year, you might still be taking classes. Some people finish their classes that year. Then you start working on a comprehensive essay. You're still seeing patients in the background. 
Um, fourth year, you're starting to become a little bit more independent, so you start working on your dissertation research. If you still have classes, you might be finishing those up. You're still seeing patients. You might work at a an external practicum site, like at a VA hospital or a academic medical center. Um, and then the fifth year is focused on dissertation. You're still seeing the patients. Hopefully, you defend the dissertation um, in your fifth year, and then you're applying for internship. And then sixth year is the year-round internship. Okay. So it sounds like the whole process was six years for you, at least in your program. Yes, at that's Michigan right. State. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes it can vary from school to school. Yes. Okay. You had mentioned that some of your sessions were taped uh, early on. Yes. Right? How was yes. that? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It's the most awkward thing to see yourself on camera and listen to yourself um, doing therapy. But uh, it's really helpful, actually. I, I remember so many times viewing the videotape and watching the session and feeling like it was so different than how it felt like in the session. Um, yeah. And it was really helpful for you know supervisors to even see things like body language like how am i positioned relative to the client um and you know even like pacing you can slow down getting that sort of feedback from a supervisor um on tape it's really really helpful but it was awkward the entire time yeah not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we did something like that in my program um i was in school kind of in covid so 2020 and then 2021 mm-hmm and so we would film over Zoom mm. some sessions, but we didn't actually film ours with clients. We did practice ones with other students. Okay. And I found that so much more anxiety-inducing than just working with an actual person. Because it's <laughs> like the student is looking for very specific things, like they're in the same class yes. learning all that stuff. And yeah. so I found that <laughs> really intimidating. But <laughs> I remember it was helpful to watch those back for it just in my personal experience because I would walk away going like oh I should have done this differently or that wasn't very good and then when I would watch it back it was I thought it was fine yeah and yeah. it made me realize that sometimes when like I ruminate after like a session or <laughs> I'm really picking apart myself for something that I said or, or did then when I watched it back like it really wasn't that bad and I felt like that was that was part of that's helpful that was good learning yeah for me. yeah yeah I, I remember we did some role plays too with the professors they would play patient we had to be the therapist that mm-hmm. I was way more anxious for those <laughs> yeah. than for seeing an actual patient so I agree yeah. with you there yeah, yeah and the, the rumination stuff after sessions I mean that still happens for me and does it? yeah it does mm-hmm. and I think I've you know just accepting that I'm gonna have thoughts like that after a session mm-hmm. yeah I yeah. get like that too yeah so the third year, then you had your comprehensive yeah. Was that? essay. Yeah. Comprehensive so, essay. This is different between programs. Some people have like a test in their fourth year where they have to read a bunch of research articles and then, you know, their professors give them questions on those papers. For me, it was just write a big long paper integrating two different areas of research that ended up being like a 50 to 100 page paper mm-hmm. that you just work on. Um, yeah relevant to clinical psychology, relevant to some of your research, and ideally setting up your dissertation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because then the dissertation proposal comes the year after that. Exactly. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Mine had no- nothing to do with my dissertation, so. <laughs> oh, okay. So they don't have to be connected. <laughs> they don't have to be, but it would it would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> have but, a lot of work done already. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. I had to start from scratch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then um, you said you have 
so for the fifth year, you're focusing on your dissertation still, you're seeing um, patients, and then you have your internship, your last sixth year of the program. Mm -hmm. Um, And from what I remember, that was all clinical work for you pretty much. Yep, all clinical work. You know, some internship sites have, you know, some time dedicated to research. Mine didn't, and I actually really liked the break from research. And I discovered that I really like seeing patients on internship when it was full-time. Yeah. For... um, you know, so with a six-year program, it sounds like you had a lot of time and had things more spread out. A master's in social work is a lot shorter. So my program was 16 months. But on average, I think most master's programs for social work are around two years if you're full-time, sometimes three to four years if you're doing the program part-time. And for me, the program really had two parts. So your classes and your internship. For you, it sounds like you had classes, you had an internship at the end, you had your comprehensive essays, you had your master's thesis, uh, your dissertation. Mm -hmm. Um, So we really focused on classes and the internship. So in my first semester, we just focused on classes and applying to internships. And then for the rest of the program, we did a mix of classes and our internship. So you would really be doing the internship, at least in my program, for three semesters or a full calendar year. Um, And we did have a couple of classes about research, especially when it came to evaluating the success of certain programs, but it was definitely a smaller part of the program Mm -hmm. for me. Um, So do you want to share maybe more about what your courses were like in your program? Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, I I do think that, you know, like I said, one of the biggest differences is the focus on research. Right. So in the classes... You know, first year we're taking stats classes. I don't know that you had to take any stats classes for social work. Did you? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's an option, but for, for the PhD, you definitely have to take two or three stats classes minimum. I know some people in the program took like up to eight stats classes if they were, you know, thinking they were going to spend more of their time doing research. But you're also taking classes like social psychology, developmental psychology, cognitive psychology. Uh, I had a class on like developmental neurobiology. Um, mm-hmm. So you're really getting like a, f- like trying to get a full breadth of all aspects of psychology. So it's a lot of different classes, but you know, it's interesting, Court, the, uh, a lot of the focus in the clinical program is on like the individual level. And I know that you guys had some classes on social justice and public policy, and I didn't really get anything like that. Um, at least when I went to school, which was, I started out like 11 years ago. So yeah. we didn't have that. Yeah, so in in the social work program, we did have courses about like social justice, diversity, oppression, social welfare policy, working with communities too, not just individuals, um, because social work is a really broad field. It's kind of an umbrella that covers a lot of different things, but above all, I think it is a degree that focused on training students to create social change, right, and approach uh-huh. a problem not just at the individual level, but also consider the systemic roots of a problem, the bigger picture, you know, as well. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting because I know um, there's like a, you know, traditionally psychology has focused on the individual level. Like, like, okay, you've got anxiety. Let's try to help you work on your anxiety. We'll give you some skills. And I know that social work has always been trying to focus on the bigger picture. So I think psychology as a field is actually trying to learn from that bigger picture perspective and incorporating things like social justice and public health and public policy into some of its research. 
I think that balance is important in having both of those perspectives. Thinking more about the individual level then, what kind of treatments did you learn about in your training? I At Michigan State, I learned um, primarily cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which tries to understand the relationships between our thoughts or how we view different situations, our feelings or the emotions that we experience, and the behaviors or what actions we're taking. So I learned um, CBT for the anxiety disorders as well as depression. Um, and then I also learned acceptance commitment therapy, ACT, uh, which is a kind of a different spinoff of CBT and focuses on living according to your values and managing anxiety and depression rather than trying to avoid them. And the folks that we would see in the clinic were folks with um, anxiety disorders, depression. I worked at a PTSD clinic during practicum. So a lot of um, anxiety, depression, OCD, things like that. Do you like CBT? Yes, I love CBT. I um, practice CBT as a clinical psychologist at U of M now. Almost exclusively I do CBT. Mm -hmm. I incorporate some elements of ACT, but yeah, I do do a fair amount of CBT. Maybe that can be our next topic together. Yeah, happy to talk. (laughs) I'll come back. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I'm definitely game. Love CBT. Love talking about CBT too. Yeah. The other thing I'll just say in um, in my program is that we focused a lot on assessment. So I learned about neuropsychological assessments. So doing things like intelligence testing, achievement testing. Um, We worked with the disabilities office um, at Michigan State. So we would, if folks wanted to see if they had ADHD or a learning disability, they would come to us and we would do an assessment. A big focus of the training was on um, diagnostic assessment and both the neuropsych and personality assessment. So we got familiar with different measures that we can use to figure out what's going on with someone so that we can best treat them. I think you guys learned about assessment too. We did, yeah. So in my program, you know, we learned about some of those things, but because the program was shorter, that looked a little bit different. So some of the courses that we had that were more focused on the clinical piece um, were ones about, you know, basics of interpersonal practice. That's when we did some of those recorded role plays that we were talking about, um, you know, assessment. Um, we had a course on the DSM and diagnosis. Um, we had a course about that kind of gave a higher level look at different types of interventions. So CBT, ACT motivational interviewing, dialectical behavior therapy, um, and I think more broadly just trauma-informed therapy as well. Mm. Um, So that was just kind of like a little introduction into a group of interventions. Um, I had a course on group therapy. I took a class on spirituality and social work, which was cool. Um, And then some other people, you know, you could take electives and things like that to learn more about different types of interventions too. So I think what we really got in our courses was more of a foundation. And then the idea was that we would really get more of our in-depth training from our internship and the Mm. supervision we Mm -hmm. had through that internship. Um, So I was really grateful to have a good uh, internship placement. They provided weekly professional development trainings on different topics. So different types of therapy working with certain types of clients, other topics related to clinical work, and that was all extra um, to the courses that I had and wasn't required by the program to have those. That was just a nice bonus that I think made my internship a really good one. 
and now that's still where I work and I help out with the internship program. So yeah, that's so um, cool. Full circle. It is full circle. Yeah. So I think another thing that I want to note is after you get your master's in social work, if you want to do any sort of clinical work, you'll have a few years until you're fully licensed. And so that's when you get a limited license, which allows you to practice, but under a fully licensed supervisor. And then you can get more experience and skills. So that's where I'm at right now with my limited license. Um, And you have something similar, right? After you get a PhD in clinical psychology? Right, yeah. So after the PhD, then um, you have to get some postdoc hours. And that that differs state by state. And this is all if you want to get licensed. So some folks never get licensed and they, you know, are in research settings. They don't see patients. And that's totally fine. You don't have to do any sort of extra training. I think that's same for social work. Okay. If you're not doing anything clinical or therapy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So for Michigan, you have to get 2,000 postdoc psychology work hours. And then you have to be supervised by a clinical supervisor. And that psychology work for Michigan can look very different. It can be all research. It can be mm-hmm. seeing patients. It just kind of depends on what you're doing. Um, but that differs state by state. Yeah. And then once once you get this certain number of hours, then you take the EPPP. I don't even know what that stands for, but I think it's like a professional psychology test. It's been a while since you took that. It's been that. a while. Yeah, I took that just before COVID, <clears throat> December okay. 2019. Yeah. Um. And then I think it's actually the test is different now. I think there's two parts to the test. Um, okay. So I squeaked through with just the one version. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then you get licensed. And then every couple of years that goes up for a renewal. And, um, you, you know, you get continuing education credits at conferences and things like that. Yeah, we have a similar thing, too. I mean, we need more hours, which I think makes sense because the program is shorter. So we need Mm 4,000 hours in Michigan currently, a certain amount of supervision hours. And we also have to take a test. We have to get our hours before we take the test. And that was recently changed. Before it was you can graduate and then take the test right away when all the information was (laughs) right fresh. fresh, But (laughs) they don't let us do that anymore. So I'll have to wait a little bit Mm -hmm. to take that. But I think for social workers, the licensure process would add two years at minimum to the whole process, um, or that could be longer if you're doing licensure maybe on a part-time basis, or maybe you take a break you, or you don't start working right away. Um, but then there are a lot of opportunities to get more of that in-depth training during that licensure process. So fellowships, trainings, workshops, um, getting paired up with a supervisor, you can really learn a lot from all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think another difference between our paths is you had fewer people, right, in your cohort. Yeah. Yeah, we had five in my class. Yeah. And you had 400-something? we had 400. <laughs> yeah. There were a few different tracks. Um, so because social work is a big umbrella, you can do different things. But I think the most popular track is this interpersonal, at least in my program, um, Uh, is this interpersonal practice track at the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so I think there were between 100 and 200 or so students who were there specifically for that track. So um, I'm guessing there's a lot of benefits to having fewer people for you. 
Yeah, and you know, clinical psych, we don't have those tracks, right? So yeah. it's it's everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's getting the same training in terms of coursework, but there's uh, individual variability in what lab you're in, what kind of research experience you're getting. Um, but we do get, I, I would say, a lot more clinical training during the actual program than a you know condensed mm-hmm. two-year program. Yeah. Oh yeah, and probably another difference between our programs is the funding situation. So. I think a lot of PhD programs, fortunately, cover tuition um, and give you a stipend so that um, hopefully that's matched to cost of living in whatever city you're in. So that was nice. Um, and the idea is that you're working in the research lab to pay those exp- to, to earn those expenses. Um, that differs depending on the professor's funding situation. That also differs depending on the program. I know at MSU. I don't think my cohort had to teach any classes while we were there, but I know at University of Michigan, for instance, a lot of grad students will have to teach courses to, to keep their funding lines. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on the program. Some PhD programs are like they pay half the tuition. Some programs don't pay the tuition at all, so you have to come up with that money yourself, take out loans. Um, but my sense is that most programs are covering that. Yeah, I was wondering if, if you thought maybe most programs were funded. I think so. Yeah. I think definitely for some of the bigger schools, like Big Ten schools, they're called Research One or R1 schools, like Michigan State, U of M. They're bigger. They tend to have a bit more money, so they can cover some of those uh, funding lines. And it's a small cohort, so you know, you're know you not funding 400 people. You're funding five, yeah. four, mm-hmm. maybe seven people. Yeah, so that's a, that's a perk for that path. I think for my program, out-of-state tuition would have been something like 100 grand. Oof. And I think in-state was more along the lines of 60 Yeah, on average. There's scholarships and yeah. things like that, too. But um, And I can only speak to my program, of course. I don't know what costs would be like for other programs. Yeah, it's but, not cheap. Yeah, so that's something to, to keep in mind, too. I'll say something, too, just to throw it out there before I forget. If you are thinking about a Ph.D., my advice would be to get hooked up in a lab um, if you're still in school, if you're an undergraduate student, get into a lab as soon as possible to figure out what parts of the research aspect you like and what parts of the research process you don't like. Both of those are really important to find out as soon as possible. And if you find yourselves reading articles and really getting into the research, you might ask your professor to do an independent project. That's just going to give you the best experience to figure out what grad school is like and what uh, scientifically informed or research-focused program would be like. Um, If you're out of school, you can still apply to work in psychology labs. A lot of labs hire, you know, two-year, three-year research coordinator positions where you get exposure to the research process. You might be recruiting participants, running them through a protocol. All of that experience is really, really great. And if you like thinking about science, if you like Reading research papers, especially, I really recommend everyone I work with to read as much as they can. Um, that's a good sign that you know a PhD might be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I for a few years in undergrad, I thought that I was going to do a PhD in yep. clinical psychology, and that's when I joined the lab that we met. <laughs> I remember <in>. that, <laughs> <laughs> and that was really helpful for me too to realize that I liked research, but I don't know that I liked it enough to have that be a major part of my career like I knew that I wanted to work with individuals and become a therapist and I remember even talking to you and you helped me um, kind of sort 
that out what my best path might be and I realized that I could do what I want to do in less time yeah and so. you, you gave it the college try you did the honors <laughs> thesis and <Literally>. everything yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so that was really helpful for me too to get involved in the lab and I enjoyed being in the lab I was there for a long time and mm-hmm. um and it was really helpful for me to figure out my next steps yeah yeah I think one of the last maybe points that we can touch on is just career opportunities Mm -hmm. then for anybody who's thinking about, um, you know, what are the differences between what you and I can do Mm -hmm. with our degrees? Yeah. Well, I'll say for clinical psych, there's a lot of flexibility. You can do a lot of different things with a clinical psych PhD. Um, You know, there's the traditional tenure track research professor line that you can do that usually requires a few years after graduating to do a research-focused postdoc where you might learn a new methodology, a new statistical analysis, and then you you know do everything a professor does, teach classes, run a lab, go to conferences and present things, um, supervise students. There's also something like I do. I work, in a, I work in a psychiatry department. It's kind of confusing. I'm a psychologist in psychiatry um, at U of M, and so I do a lot of different things, but the focus is on seeing patients. That's most of my time is seeing patients for therapy. And then I do a little bit of kind of teaching. I do lectures to med students and Mm -hmm. teach the residents how to do CBT. I do a little bit of research. But other, you know, other folks that I know um, work full-time private practice. They're doing, they're not doing any research. They're they're just seeing patients full-time and they're very happy. Um, There are folks who work at like, startup companies working with technology like digital technologies um you know bringing that research lens and the clinical expertise to different platforms to deliver evidence-based therapies to lots of different people on like apps um Mm -hmm. some folks work at a hospital and they see patients for behavioral health issues like smoking cessation and provide short-term interventions um there's just a lot of different things that you can do with with this degree Mm mm-hmm I think similarly, social work is very flexible and you can do a lot of different things. And even thinking just more specifically to the clinical track, right, because outside of that, you can have people working in um, politics and all kinds of different things that I can't even really speak to because those are completely different tracks within social work. So just even thinking about the clinical piece and people who want to become therapists, like you can also do private practice. You can work for an agency. You can, you know, you can work with individuals, groups, children, adults. You can work in a hospital. I think one of the main differences is that I can't do all of the research in the same way that you can, right? Because it sounds like clinically, Ultimately, if like, for example, our end goal is private practice, mm-hmm. both paths are a great way to get to private yeah. practice. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, I, I think that both paths, which set you up nicely to do private practice, the main difference is, um, you know, in the clinical psych, you're getting more supervision and training during the actual program. With mm-hmm. the social work track, you're getting like kind of a broad um, exposure to those things. And then in a couple of years, you're getting additional training for the licensure process. And then you might do a fellowship. You know, there's different workshops you can go to to Mm -hmm. to beef up skills. But, yeah, I mean, we can both see 
patients in private practice. Yeah. Do you have any last thoughts on differences or similarities? Yeah, I guess well, I guess I'll just end on some advice, um, unsolicited advice. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite type of advice. <laughs> um, just follow what you're passionate about. If if you're privileged enough to be able to do that, if you can if you get really excited about the idea of seeing patients and working with them and really trying to understand them and help them on an individual basis and don't have that same excitement about research, the master's program in social work might be a great fit for you. If, however, you really do like the research, if you like reading research papers, if you get excited about new statistical analyses or scientific discoveries and you want to be a part of that, then the PhD program would be a good fit. So really, uh, you know, that's why I said earlier, it's really helpful to join a lab and get some hands-on experience that because you can just discover what you like and equally important what you don't like. Yeah, that's some good unsolicited advice. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, too, one of my takeaways is that it's important to just talk to people, get experience, you know, like get in a lab or maybe talk to more people who have gone on a certain path that you're interested in. For anybody listening, my website is always linked in the show notes. You can send me messages through my website or on social media. I'm always happy to answer questions as well. I'll just say one more thing that I just thought of. You can change. You can change your mind. Um, yeah. So my professor at Michigan State, for instance, was um, was going to be an actor. Then he was going to go into business. And then he got into a psychology lab and got really excited about being a therapist. And now he almost exclusively does research. Uh, I, on the other hand, wanted to do research. I kind of knew I wanted to do psychology going into it. I was going to do research full time. And then on internship, like I said before, I started learning. I really like seeing patients. I want to do more of that. Yeah. So it changes, and that's okay. Change is okay. It could, you know, I, so I don't want folks to come away from this podcasting. I have to know exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. Because you don't, but just get some experience so you can learn, you get more information, collect some more data. That's also some good unsolicited <laughs> advice. <laughs> all right, that's enough unsolicited advice for, <laughs> for me. So I think that covers all the main points we were thinking about today, and I'm really glad that you went for your degree because otherwise I wouldn't have met you. Uh. <laughs> and I'm glad that I was interested in that degree mm-hmm. even though I didn't do it because too. Um, it brought us together and we mm-hmm. worked together in the lab for several years before we started dating. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so thank you for uh, being here and answering some questions. I really appreciate it. It was nice to have you. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, I'd love to come back. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> So that's all for today. If you found this episode helpful and you are enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review. It would be great to get your feedback and it would really help out the podcast as well. And as I mentioned, if you have any questions or wondering more about this topic or even have ideas for other topics, please feel free to reach out to me through my website or social media, which are linked in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you take care and I will see you next time. Bye.